Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 41, following along with For the Perfecting of the Saints, Ephesians. And then also, it was General Conference this past weekend, so we are definitely going to talk about that, which is perfect because that's 100% in the lesson anyway. Um, Man, this episode is kind of monumentous for me, the reason being... <laughs> this puts us officially back on track, and it has been the first time that I've been back on track with my recording schedule. I can't even remember. Probably since June. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Since June or May. Um, I'm so sorry. Wow, it just feels... <laughs> not that I feel like you have these high expectations necessarily of this podcast. I mean, you probably absolutely can have expectations of a come follow me podcast being you know on track with the lessons that you're supposed to be like studying and learning but i uh man i'm sorry and i'm glad to be back on track i do just need to give a quick heads up that i might i might i'm not planning on it but i might get off track again in the near future um lex is due any day with our with our baby um in fact, she was supposed to have this baby three days ago, four days ago. Um, she, I'm recording this. I'll just give you a real time update. It is 10:31 p.m. on October 4th right now when I'm recording this, and she has had contractions all day. Um, she woke up with contractions, and we kept thinking that any minute we'd be going to the hospital. And I had told everyone at work we'd be going to the hospital, and Obviously, it's now this current time, and she is sleeping peacefully while trying to get whatever sleep she can right now. Um, my guess is that we'll be in the hospital in the next couple hours, if not first thing in the morning. But I say that, and we might not be in the hospital till Friday. So um, anyway, it's very exciting. It's also been very stressful and um, just full of anxiety, you know, bringing in a small human into the world is full of emotions. And so uh, I don't plan to be off track again, but uh, if I am, it's because we had, we have a newborn a baby. So we're very excited and praying that everything goes well and everything goes smoothly. Obviously there's, there's a lot of things that could go wrong or can go wrong. And uh, we are optimistic. Well, Lex is an optimistic person and I just do the best I can to be optimistic. Um, but yeah, so far everything's looking good and, and healthy and we're just trying to rid off any anxieties that we have about <clears throat> the next coming hours, days, months of no sleep. You get it. Um, but yeah, ultimately not my desire to fall behind. I'm really happy that we are back on track with this episode. So just a heads up, just in case. All right, that out of the way, let's get into the introduction for this lesson. When the gospel began to spread in Ephesus... It caused no small stir among the Ephesians. Local craftsmen who produced shrines to a pagan goddess saw Christianity as a threat to their livelihood, and soon they were full of wrath, and the whole city was filled with confusion. Imagine being a new convert to the gospel in such a setting. Many Ephesians did accept and live the gospel amid this uproar, and Paul assured them that Christ is our peace. These words, along with his invitations to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away, 
seem as timely and comforting now as they were then. For the Ephesians, as for each of us, the strength to face adversity comes in the Lord and in the power of his might. And like I talked about in the last episode, I want to be able to read the uh, Bible dictionary about this epistle. And it says, this epistle was carried by the same messenger who bore the the I think it's Colossians, 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 whatever, letter. I'll figure it out by the next episode because that's when we're going to read about that lesson. Uh, the, the epistle is of great importance for it contains Paul's teachings regarding the Church of Christ. And that's all it really says in the Bible Dictionary about this one, which is not a lot of context compared to the other epistles. Um, but anyway, so there you go. This The epistle to the Ephesians is important because it talks about the Church of Christ, which I guess they all kind of do. So again, I don't know if I found it that helpful. Uh, in this lesson, tons of great stuff. I'm going to focus on section three and four. Section three says the church is founded on apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And in come follow me, it says, think about the messages from prophets and apostles you heard during general conference. How do their teachings fulfill the purposes Paul described? For example, how have these teachings helped you not be carried away, carried about with every wind of doctrine? And that's why it's perfectly timed perfectly timed to align up with General Conference bringing this up, and uh, before I read or talk about, read and talk about the things from General Conference, I do want to read from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 14, through 14. It says, and he, he gave some, excuse me, one more time, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And that is the purpose of church leadership. And a follow-up question to, all, to the, those scriptures is, are we done being tossed around by every false teaching? Because if we are, all we have to do is turn to our modern day prophet and his apostles. And so general conference, I want to go over some of my favorite talks, uh, little things I ha haven't checked uh, to see if the conference messages have already been released or not. I know that they have really worked over the last few years to have super fast turnaround time. And uh, let's see if I can quickly navigate through the app real fast just to see if they've posted them. Um, General Conference. Wow. Yeah. They already haven't posted. They are so quick. I just have to <laughs> I just have to give like a shout out to the church employees that they have who turn that around so fast. That's amazing. Okay, so it's live. You can go on your conference app right now and be able to see all these uh, messages. So that's cool. I want to talk about one, I think probably the most important, which is the words from our our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, who couldn't be there in person, but was able to record his talk and give his the, the closing address, um, which when we talk about modern technology, a lot of times we talk about the evils of modern technology and the dangers, the risks, um, and that's because there's so many, but also, just you got to stand in awe and marvel at the fact that 
through modern technology, we're able to hear the words from our prophet and still feel the spirit, even though it's not live, it's not in person. And the fact that we have just in our pocket an entire library of God's words is, I mean, the ancient saints would sit in awe at what we have at our fingertips today, both for good and for bad. But let's focus on the good. It's so much good. And so the fact that he was able to to give us an address at 99 years old, our prophet is 99 years old, and still, I mean, I know that he uh, obviously was dealing with health issues and it had fallen and um, was dealing with that. The fact that at 99, he still has the strength and capacity that he does, I marvel at that. So, President Russell M. Nelson's address, the, it was Think Celestial, right? You've probably seen all of the, the memes already on social media about Think Celestial. And it was a great talk. Here's some things that I wrote down. I, I copied just in my notes that I wanted to share. Uh, one, what we do in this life really matters. And we can ask ourselves some important questions that can help guide us. Because uh, he said, begin with the end in mind. So what's our end goal? And if it's eternal life, then start working backwards. And if we work backwards, it's going to be along the covenant path. Covenant path is how we, we live this. So three questions to ask ourselves. Number one, where do you want to live? Two, what type of body do you want to have? And three, who do you want to live with? And these questions can help us as we ponder the decisions that we're making in life. This was a theme throughout conference. And I even as I was going back and flipping through, and I apologize if you can hear my journal. Uh, I know you can because I can hear it. Um, this was a theme. It, it, I, I thought it was an interesting focus. It was a great focus, but an interesting focus to help us where they made sure to say and reiterate multiple times. Like we all have our agency agency and we know that we know that we have our agency, but they tied that to say, if you're offended through conference about when they tell us what the law is and associated blessings with the law. And also if we don't live the law associated consequences or potential consequences of not following that, if we get offended by that, it's not them offending you. You're offended because of, the laws that God has given us. Um, but to step back and recognize that you have the agency and what you really need to ask is what type of life do you want to live? What type of end result do you want to have? If you want to live a celestial life, then yes, you do have to make covenants and keep those covenants. You do need to wear uh, your garments if you've made those temple covenants. It's not a a covenant that you can, you know, you, you don't have to wear them full time. Now, if you don't want to wear them full time, that's fine. But then you're not living a celestial law. There's nothing offensive about that. I think too often we, we, we worry so much about offending one another or saying things out of, out of line and out of order. And a lot of the times I think it becomes, it comes because there's associated judgments, right? Whether we mean to or not, we judge other people or people fear judgment. We, none of us want to be judged. None of us want to think less than one another. What I've found, and I've, I've talked a lot with Lex about this, um, in, in the way we communicate because just transparently we're considered like the judgy ones and 
<laughs> both my family and in her family. Right. And I think a lot of it's because I know why I have that stigma attached to me is because I'm a judgy person. It's just, it is what it is, but it, I, I'm not really, at least I, I don't think I am. I don't really, it's that I just speak to, um, I'm very open with both like, okay, let me give you an example. Cause that's probably easier. When we were watching general conference and there was a talk that was like, you know, watch your, watch your words and watch, you know, don't go out of your way to offend people. I stopped and I was like, well, that's a call out, right? President, President Nelson in his talk talked about avoid, uh, and then he listed, you know, like addictions. And the first one he listed was gaming, like video games or just gaming in general. And I was like, okay, that, that felt quite aggressive at me. I don't know what that was about. And, and then he continued on and he mentioned food. And I was like, okay, all right, I, you don't need to come at me, right? And, and I'm joking. I was completely joking. I mean, there's truth to it. I love food. I think I've talked about that. I love food. And I do love playing games, video games, board games, card games. I love games. I'm very passionate about it. But I call that out, and I'm willing to call myself out. But at the same time, I also, I, sometimes my filter's not that great, so I call my closest friends, my closest family out, call random strangers out for behaviors that I see and observe. Do I tie that with like eternal judgment? No, because eternal judgment's not mine. Uh, I know I have no say on that, but I call out actions. And so I recognize that I have a stigma attached to myself, which is Dalton's a judgy person. I kind of own it. And I think when you own it, I've, I've noticed that people actually do give me a lot of grace on this uh, in a lot of my relationships with friends and acquaintances once they recognize that I'm good natured about it and I, I laugh at it. And if other people call me out, I don't take offense. It's near impossible to offend me because you genuinely have to try, like you have to intentionally be trying to offend me. And so because most offenses that happen are accidental or there's no intent to do it, I never take offense. It's a lot easier for me and I have a lot better relationships with people that way. And when people have learned that, People don't seem to mind that I am the way I am. But I've noticed, I, I'm rambling on about this to say, I've noticed that the people who get really defensive about if they tend to be a little bit more vocal about what they're saying, right, can come off more judgy, or maybe they are judgy either way. And if they get defensive about it, that's when people cling on to it and they're like, okay, I don't want to hang out with you because you're a judgy person. And so if you are, work on not being judgy. I'm working on it. I call myself out. I'm working on it. But also just own it. Own the fact that you're a little bit more on the judgmental side and you're working at being more on the loving side that judgment's not yours. It's God's. Um, but there's, there's goods and negatives with, with a lot of these behaviors, right? Someone who's not judgy at all also tends to just not care what other people do, which means probably not working to help others like rise to that higher plane. Right. And on the other side, then you also don't want to, if you are a judgy person, while yes, it's, you could be helpful on helping others rise to the occasion, so to speak. You can also be a person who pushes people away. And I'll talk about that again. So love president. I've, I've rambled on about that, but I love president Nelson's talk and thinking celestial. That's that should be all of our goal. The fact that you're listening, I feel like to this podcast at all, tells me that you're investing time 
outside of like you want to be invested in gospel things. Um, so therefore you are trying to think celestial already and recognize the consequences of trying to do that, right? It means that you are held to a higher responsibility. You're called uh, to be better and to do better every day. And so repentance shouldn't be something you fear. Uh, I'm going to now jump back because that was the concluding talk. I'm actually, I thought Sunday morning, every single talk, Sunday morning, minus, minus one. And I won't tell you which one because that's judgmental. But there was, there was one that I wasn't as excited about. But every talk minus the one I'm thinking of was just a home run. Home run talk. Loved it. Starting with, uh, hold on, make sure I'm on the right spot. Nope. Starting with, yeah, I was going to say Elder Bednar. Uh, Elder Bednar's was just absolute, knocked it out of the park. I thought it was fantastic. And um, he started with, uh, say, essentially the message that I wrote down was that we don't, we don't serve in the church or in life or anywhere, to be famous, that the purpose is not to be famous, it's not to be noticed, and that some of the best servants of God are the ones who go about serving silently and uh, without recognition, and they do it for God's glory. And I thought that was really powerful. It's something that I've recognized, uh, something I want to be working on is is not worrying so much about glory, about recognition. Um, I want to be happy serving silently, going about doing good, and that being its own reward. Because um, not necessarily that I, I struggle deeply with that, but there's times where I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm serving, I'm trying to magnify my calling, and for what? Like, no one seems to care. And I, I, want, I need to recognize that I'm doing it because God, God notices, and he cares, and he does. Um, and then another one on that, that Saturday morning was uh, Carlos A. Godoy's. He talked about being to be bold, to stop doubting the promptings of the Holy Ghost. And don't be halfway in the church. You got to be fully committed. If you want the blessings, the true blessings that come from gospel membership and uh, being a member of the church, be fully in, be fully committed. And by the way, that principle is true in everything in life. Like if you want to be a great employee, be fully committed. If you want to be, uh, if you want to have an amazing marriage, a celestial marriage, you need to be fully committed. That's why we do the sealing covenant. Um, Cause this is, by the way, shown in research that marriages where this, the one spouse is committed, but they don't think their spouse, this is like, so me personally, if I knew I was committed, but I didn't believe Lex was committed, that I would have less satisfaction in my marriage. And so when both spouses believe that they're fully committed and that their spouse is fully committed, that is where the highest levels of satisfaction in marriage are found in those relationships, which the ceiling covenant certainly helps in that regard because two people who live striving to be obedient and live fully and keep the commitments to those covenants. Obviously that's a fantastic anchor for your faith and for your marriage. Um, and then elder president, or excuse me, president Dalladay chokes, uh, talk on Saturday morning was also awesome. And then goes again, he talked about what law do you want to live? And I thought just knocked it out of the part, especially as he kind of set the, the tone when it came to, Really thinking, like, what life are you living right now? What what end result do you hope to have? Because if you're living a terrestrial life right now, you're not going to receive a celestial glory. You got to step up. And so start striving to live that celestial life, that celestial law, uh, because you don't, you don't live 
a terrestrial law and expect a celestial outcome. That's no, no law of science. Does that work? Right. Uh, then Saturday afternoon continued with fantastic talks. Honestly, I thought just all of Saturday really was great. Uh, but elder Anderson talked about trusting in the Lord and good things will follow. Don't seek stewardship outside of what you've been called or assigned being grateful for the stewardship you have. I thought that was great. Elder Stevenson that day talked about having the fruits and the, uh, the fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, um, said a couple things like I, I bulleted list of one, two, and three. It said one, stand in holy places, two, stand with holy people, and three, listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, and I loved that. And then uh, that, that evening, Saturday evening, Gary B. Sabin said we must be, uh, excuse me, grace makes up the difference and how do we want to keep the worth of, our, of a soul constantly in our hearts? The best way to identify a follower of Christ is by how, compassionate, how compassionately they treat others. And I love that. And then, um, can I just say, sorry, a quick note. I love General Conference. I love all, all the sessions of General Conference. But I really want to go back to how we used to do General Conference on Saturday evenings where... Um, it was the men or the women for that session. I loved that change because now when it's just all of us together, not that there's anything wrong with that, it just continues. It feels like it's like an overabundance of the same thing. Um, I liked the change. And also I loved the traditions that had come with that. I mean, my, in my family, all the men got together. We went to burgers before uh, and would then go to conference, right? And then afterwards would get some ice cream. And I, I loved that from the time I was 12 until the time they stopped doing. That was the tradition. And now that tradition's gone away and it's just not the same. And I, I, I miss it and I want it back. And plus, I think it's a I think it's it's shocking how much men really do need to be with other men and how much women need to be with other women and just in that group when we are all together as one body. It's fantastic. Obviously, I love being able to be with my wife all the time but a real strength, and not only for, for me personally, but for my marriage. When Lex is able to go be with her friends outside and then comes back, our marriage grows in strength, right? Because she has this outside experience and, and she has, uh, because she's stronger when she has these outside relationships, uh, comes back, it adds to our marriage. And same thing, when I go and I'm able to hang out with my guy friends and then come back, I have more vibrancy in our marriage and I'm happy and I bring that back. And so men and women really do have a deep, deep need to be with those of our own sex, to hang out and do women things and man things. And I don't know. I think there's a real need there. So if anything, I would bring that back. I'm, I am not loving the whole let's do five sessions of conference all the same. But that's just me. I don't know if you feel the same or feel differently. Maybe you love the, the way they have it now and never want to go back. Uh, but Sunday morning or Sunday, yeah, Sunday morning session, Elder Uchtdorf's talk just called me unto repentance. Hardcore. Speaking of being judgy, when he talked about the prodigal son and that whole story, something I wrote down was make it easy for others to return who have fallen away and be quick to be soft and to be kind. This is something I've, I don't feel like is a huge strength of mine, and I, I want it to be. I think I need it to be, and I felt called to repentance. Again, I talked about this in last, the last episode. 
but it made me uncomfortable. And I loved that feeling of discomfort because it was a clear sign where I need to grow and improve. And so if you had any moments during conference where you felt uncomfortable, take that as a sign, not that it's like, well, I was offended and I don't want to watch conference anymore. Maybe take it as a sign of like, okay, where can I grow and improve? We, by the way, um, this is just, I'm going to go off, off for a second about what's happening, I think, in the world as a general trend. And this is nothing necessarily new, but it does seem to like, as things go in cycles and in patterns, we're re- re- redoing a cycle or a pattern that's been done in generations past, which is this uh, kind of this free spirit type of cycle. It's the, you know, the my truth or live your truth or anything that makes you uncomfortable. Kind of pop psychology, it's like if something makes you uncomfortable or or put you outside of your comfort zone, you remove it from your life. That's like the pop psychology thing. It's what therapists right now are, are really pushing is like, if you're in an unhappy marriage, the, then you need to re- get rid of your spouse. You need to d- get divorced, get out of that marriage. Not all therapists, not all, I'm not blanketing necessary to every single person, but it is a big trend. It's something I'm really nervous about. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable as I see it because that goes against like God's teachings. And honestly, it goes against real happiness, long-term eternal happiness. And so when I have thought, as I've thought about this, I've pondered about this, we have a natural need as people to grow and improve. And when we don't grow and improve, uh, when we aren't pushed outside of our comfort zone, when we don't have those things that that push, we get bored. And an idle mind is a devil's workshop or devil's playground. But more than that, we get bored and we kind of shrivel up and die in a lot of ways. You see that the kind of the most, the worst people in society are the ones who just never grow or improve or anything. They just go stagnant and are in a damned state. And I hate being bored. And I also know that when I'm not pushing myself, that while it's lovely to, you know, while it's lovely to not feel like you're constantly dying under the strain of growth, right? We all need those times where we, uh, the bowstring isn't pulled back all the time. If you if you put that bow at just uh like the string just is never pulled back, it never gets stretched or anything, then it'll just sit there and eventually will just you know get dusty, rust. It won't rust because it's not made out of metal, but it'll break right, and it won't work anymore. Then the next time it is tried to be stretched, it'll just snap. And so find the balance. But we are naturally we have a natural need to be pushed have a natural need to grow. If we do it too much, obviously, or for too long, then we'll break that way. So you do need to find the joy in life and all these things. Everything's about the balance. But I I say that because I've seen that if you think that the way to be happiest in life is to avoid all those opportunities of growth, I can tell you that you're wrong because everybody needs those opportunities of growth. So conference made me uncomfortable and I love it. I love that I now know over the next six months where I would like to grow, where I need to change, and I've been making plans to do so. I was writing in my journal what I'm going to do and have very clear, three things set out very clearly. They're gonna push me, but they're not gonna break me. And so I invite you to do the same from conference. The final two talks that I wanna talk about was uh, Elder Renlin's, where he just talked about being conscious of how we prepare for the sacrament, and then Elder uh, John C. Pingree's where he said that the spirit speaks to us often, but we need to be receptive to his messages. And we need to learn how to speak to best amplify the Holy Ghost. 
Um, which is funny. I will say that when he started talking, I did not think I was going to like his talk. Just the natural man in me was like, nope, not going to like this talk. And I ended up loving it. So it was a great conference. I, I give it a five stars, a 10 out of 10. It was, it was an awesome conference. I loved it. I really wish we could hear from Elder Holland. Um, one of my, he's one of my favorite speakers. I love him. Elder Uchtdorf is my favorite. Elder Holland's probably my second favorite. And I've loved them both for a, well over a decade now. And the fact that I haven't heard from Elder Holland in two conferences just really burdens and makes it saddens my soul. And I was praying constantly through conference that his life will be extended. Um, Cause I know he's been having health issues, but I just pray that his life will be extended that I may hear at least one more address from him. If I could just get one more, my life will be made. And uh, obviously I would love to hear a lifetime more of addresses from him, but it has probably been the first conference where I realized how important it is to pray for the health and strength of our uh, prophet and apostles. Cause it just, you know, I guess it's that time of life where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting old and so are they. And, uh, but yeah, it was a great conference and I loved it. So that is what I got. That was a lot. That's what I got from section three, section four, back to the lesson of come follow me specifically was following the savior's example can strengthen my family, family relationship. And in this lesson, it's important because it says, and it says here, speaking of importance, it is important to note that Paul's words in Ephesians chapter five were written in the context of the social customs of his era. Prophets and apostles today teach that men are not superior to women and that spouses are meant to be equal partners. And so with that, I'm going to share some of these verses that the language makes it seem like men are better and they're not. We know that we know that they're not. And I hope that that's fine as we talk about this. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 25, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And in marriage, uh, especially as we're sealed and in the sealing covenant, it is a contract between three people, between you, your spouse, and the Lord. And with that comes, right, like when I married Lex, it was me giving myself to her, so I am hers, and she gave herself to me, she is mine, not in a, like a ownership contract, almost like how it sounds in this verse, right, like submit yourselves to the husband but it was a, a submit my will and she submits her will. And we both submit our will together to the Lord's. And that is how we have the strongest marriage. And so where I talked about this prior, the way that Lex and I make decisions is not a, okay, let's counsel about it. And then I get the final say that has never been how any decision has been made in our home since we've, since we formed our, our union together. Um, this is something that I've been extremely grateful for that we were both on the same page. That's obviously why we, when we were dating and got married, the reason we got married was I wouldn't have done it if she didn't view it this way. Um, but that also means that because we counsel together and we don't make decisions until we're both on the same page or we're both together on it, there have definitely been times where decisions just don't get made and we have to go back to the drawing board and we have to continually work together and counsel together. And it can be a frustrating process, an extremely frustrating process, actually, especially when I'm like, okay, the, the best answer from my perspective is this, right? And of course, she has 
on her side where she's like, no, the best answer would be this. And when it doesn't see eye to eye right away, that can be frustrating. But that was the decision we made together, which was that it wasn't like, uh, and there's been times where we, I'll be honest, there's been times where we've been getting frustrated. We've been counseling together, getting frustrated. And one of us is like, okay, you just make the decision, right? And it's taken a lot of strength together to be like, no, 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 that is not how we do this. That's not how we're going to do this. We're both going to be on the same page here. And so it's gotten easier over almost eight years of marriage, eight years of marriage in November. It's gotten easier, but is still incredibly difficult, especially as more complicated. It's, you know, we, we have a lot of practice, but more complicated situations in life continue to come up, especially with our kids. As our kids get older, there's decisions that have to be made that takes a whole lot more counseling than when we were first married, which was like, what TV do we want to buy? Which, yes, that was an argument. Actually, the first argument we ever had, ironically, was <laughs> at what age would our kids get cell phones? Because I said never. Uh, <laughs> I started from a very strong stance. And we didn't even have kids at the time. So it's funny how things have gotten harder, but mostly because the arguments are more real. They were a little less real when we first got married. Ah, ah, young love. Uh, in Ephesians 5, 20, 28, it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And I love the way that, that we can view that. And also for men, well, for more men and for women. But if you love your spouse, then treat them better than you would treat yourself. Is Is a great way to look at it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 33, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This is a very important and pivotal scripture, especially in today's day, where I have friends who I don't think understand the scripture necessarily. In some ways, they still cleave to, like, their parents. They go to their parents. They're married, and they still go to their parents for um, direction and counsel, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. What I mean is, like, that their first point of contact is, like, their, their mom or their dad. No, your first point. When you get married, you should be cleaving to your spouse, which means, uh, and it can be difficult. I get it, especially when your trusted advisors have been your parents or close friends or siblings, whatever. When you enter into marriage, your first point of contact needs to be your spouse. It's actually a commandment to cleave unto them. And I don't know, I don't know if it's been always or just in my day and my generation. I have no idea. I'm sure this has been a forever thing. But yeah, it's an important scripture and it has eternal consequences. So make sure you're cleaving to your spouse and no one else. And then children, uh, this Ephesians chapter six, verse one to four, children, obey your parents of the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, meaning uh, of the 10 commandments. If you go through one is there's only one God, two is you'll have no, no gods or bow to no gods or, or idols. Three is not taking the Lord's name in vain. And then number four is honoring your father and your mother. No, no. No, four is keeping the Sabbath day holy. Five is, is honoring your parents. And so we go through five commandments, and this is the first one that has a promise with it, which is that your days will be extended on, either your days or their days, will be extended upon the land. So continuing, it says, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long. Oh, there we go. That you will live long on the earth. 
And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I want to point out that because I love you, Mom, but my mom will always point out the honor your father and mother scripture. I'd like to point out for all of you parents that this also has an obligation for parents to their children, not just children to their parents. Um, don't provoke your children to wrath, which also means that you need to, it's a dual way respect. Uh, not in the same way as like when, when you say children respect your parents, right? You don't need to respect your, your children. Like for instance, Flynn demands, <laughs> makes actual demands all the time about like he had, he got this Amazon, uh, magazine for toys and demanded that we buy him certain toys. And I said, you don't get to make those demands. And I said, if you want to work up and save money and stuff, you can absolutely buy those. And he was like, well, you're just going to buy it for me for Christmas. And I said, well, <laughs> I was like, all right, listen here, you little ungrateful. Uh, it's not the same way. It doesn't go the same way where you need to respect in that sense of like your children demand something and you, you have to show that respect. But I do have a respect for my, my kids, meaning they're, they're people, even though they're, you know, six, four and two and about to have a newborn, even though they're those ages, they're, they're, they're just like me. They're just trying to figure it out. They came to this earth and it is my responsibility and duty to them to help them remember and recognize the same promises they made that I made back before in the pre-mortal world, before we came down here. It's my job. It's my duty. And so there is a respect that comes from recognizing that I am helping to raise future gods. And that's a that's a deep uh, and honestly profound responsibility that I have. So it does come with a level of respect for my kids. And I look at them and not as like these servants of mine who need to do what I say, even though it would be a heck of a lot easier, I got to be honest. But I look at it as a responsibility that I have to love and nurture them the same way that I know that my relationship with my heavenly father is that he still loves me, listens to me, even though I have zero wisdom or zero say, he still listens and treats me like uh, someone worthy of being listened to. And so I try to do that for my kids. I try to listen to them and hear about what they're concerned about and take it seriously. Cause let me tell you, the stresses of a six-year-old are immense. Ugh, what, who you're going to sit by and who you hang out at recess, I wish. Um, there are a couple of scriptures I want to finish with that weren't particularly of any part of the sections, and I, I think that's fine. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, and 9 for that matter, it says, for, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This is important because I sometimes struggle how to talk about what our belief is in grace and works and faith and, and, and that, that mixture. I think these scriptures are perfect to have in your back pocket if it ever comes up, especially with those of other faiths. Um, in the South, particularly was the Baptists that, that this was important to have uh, because they believe this scripture heavily that it doesn't, you know, but of course in the Baptist belief, it's, it's it doesn't really matter what you do. As long as you say you're saved by, by Christ, then you're saved by grace. And, and that doesn't matter yet. We are saved by grace through faith. And it, so we're not saved because of anything that we do. It's not of our works, right? Lest any man should boast. Uh, so it's the gift of God that we're saved. And I love, Brad Wilcox has a great talk on this that he had given about that relationship. What's truly expected is that we do our best. 
and only you are going to know what your best is. Well, you and God. And so it's true. I can't tell you what your best is, but you dang well are going to know what your best is. And if you're not giving your best, then that's where the, the problem's going to come, right? So yes, you are saved by grace, but if you did nothing to, to show your works, then because God's your judge, you're not going to, that, that grace is not going to be the same for you. Uh, but just because I may be, have more strengths or whatever, uh, if I'm not giving, if I'm not giving my best and you're not giving, or you're giving your best and even my best isn't, I'm looking at this on my hands as like a mathematical equation. Let's pretend that we have a hundred percent and I'm giving 90%. You're giving a hundred percent, but my 90% looks better than your hundred percent. Right. Uh, because I wasn't giving a hundred percent, like you'll still receive that for Christ's grace makes up for all of that lack because you were going a hundred, you were giving your hundred percent. So it's not about who can give more. It's not about, so in that sense, our works are not who can do more. Um, but it is about giving your, your full self and then being changed by grace. I feel like that made that way more confusing, but I hope we got there in the end. And then in Ephesians chapter five, verse six, it says, let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And this was a talk in, this also related to a talk in conference that I loved. It was, uh, I believe, I believe it was W Christopher Waddell's talk. Um, and just talking about it's, you know, don't follow after those that are popular. Don't follow those that are the social media influencers or those who claim to be, you know, righteous or whatever. And this, this fits so well with the scripture of let no man deceive you with vain words. And in that same way, it was just such a great warning for all of us to, to not allow that to happen. And the way we, we do that is again, as I've talked about prior, you need to have the gift of discernment. You also need to be measuring things against God's words and go back and study W. Christopher Waddell's talk. I think that'll be the best. Uh, he gave some great counsel on how we can do this. How can we can protect ourselves? And let me just for my own self say, like, I hope you, you're not like taking my podcast by you listening to my podcast. This better not be your study for come follow me. or like, you're checking that box saying, yeah, I study come follow me. This is just supposed to be a discussion that you can, I can have and you've already studied or are studying. And then by listening, it just gives you different, a different perspective that maybe you wouldn't have normally and something that can, you can kind of compare and be like, did I gain anything from that? Or, you know, I think Dalton was wrong here. I actually view it like this. And ideally this is a way to strengthen your testimony. I don't do this for money. Don't, I'm never going to do this for money. Uh, cause that just doesn't interest me at all. Also it feels, a, I gotta be honest, feels a little bit like pre pre if I were to do it. Um, but I just do this because I enjoy having these discussions. I enjoy being able to study in this way and hope that it helps you in your studies. And I love being able to talk to people afterwards when they come up and say, Hey, you brought this point up and I had never thought about it this way before. Or, Hey, have you thought? Cause most of the time it's actually people coming to me saying, you mentioned this, but have you thought about it this way? And I love that, that this for me is a way to connect. And that's why I do it. And I love it. And gosh, dang, I'm really happy that we're caught up about time. I gotta be honest about time. Let me leave you with this, with this invitation. It's, it's the invitation is going to be putting on the armor of God, but I want to read the scripture with it anyway. So in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11 to 18, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil, uh, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So this week I invite you to put on the armor of God every single day, and I also want to invite you to go back and study the conference addresses. They're available. I now know that they're available, so I'm going to start studying them every day. And... This will help you treasure up the words and help you prove uh, for yourself, it'll be a sign for yourself and for God, that you do treasure up his words from, from him through his prophet and apostles. And so I want to leave that invitation with you. Thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.